Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Let's do this. I'm ready. Anybody else ready? Woo! Okay. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. If you're using your Uversion Bible app on your mobile device, you can follow along. Go into Uversion and click live, and it'll have all our scriptures and notes there. Um, so you can do that. Let me open mine up right now. What's that? It totally works. I got it up right now. See? Get off my back, Rob. All right. So, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Let's see if it works. <laughs> so critical. All right. Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk about a topic that, you know, we've been hitting through the books, book of Acts uh, in this series we're calling Wildfire. And um, we're talking about just how the, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving and God, uh, you know, the church was just spreading across the world like a wildfire. And it was just this kind of uncontrollable thing as the Holy Spirit tends to be. And um, just an incredible movement of God. What, when you read through the book of Acts <clears throat> and actually through a lot of the New Testament, what you find is not only God moving in great ways that were, you know, worth celebrating and just, you know, writing about and all that kind of stuff. There, as, as much as there was good going on in terms of God moving and the word spreading and the gospel going out, there was also probably at least as much suffering happen, happening to the church. They were being persecuted right and left. It was, it, it, what was also, what was the best days, so to speak, of the church in terms of just this, you know, the, the first viral movement, you know, maybe that the world has ever seen, just, just moving out of control, uh, in a lot of ways for some people was also kind of some of the worst days in terms of they were just under serious attack. <clears throat> and I don't mean attack like, like when we, when we talk about being under attack, a lot of times we're like, oh, I feel a little blue today. No, I'm talking they were like under attack, like uh, for their lives, okay? It was a, a desperate time, and they were going through some serious suffering. And, and, uh, and so we're going to read a story about Paul kind of hitting a, a patch of suffering in his own life. And this, we're kind of winding down the book of Acts here. Um, but this is what, what we have to realize as, and, and, and what a lot of people don't like to teach about. It's not very, you're not going to hear very many TV evangelists preaching this sermon uh, because it doesn't bring in a lot of dollars. That's why we took up the offering before I preached today. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> and uh, no, the, the, re- the reason, it, it, I mean, this, this message of um, that as much as God loves you, as much as he has died to save you and make a way for you to be in a relationship with him and wants you to live a victorious life and wants to bless your life and all that kind of stuff that is, that is true. I'm not taking away from that at all. It's absolutely true. There is also this theology of suffering in the Bible that is just as much a part of our faith. And it's not the part that we like to talk about as much, uh, but it's crucial. It's critical to our faith. And, uh, and so we're going to look at that. So, so I'm just going to, we're, we're hitting uh, chapters 21 through 23. I'm not going to read all that. <clears throat> I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis of what's going on in Acts chapter 21, 23, and then I'm going to read a couple, couple of verses of it. Uh, but basically what's, what's going on is Paul has been out starting churches. <coughs> Pardon me. Wow, that was ugly. So he, uh, he's out starting churches, and good things are happening. People are coming to Christ, and 
It's, it's, it's a great time in his ministry, right? He has some business that he needs to attend to back in Jerusalem. And so he starts making his way back to Jerusalem. And all the way there, over and over and over, people begin to tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you. They, your, your name has become one that the Jewish authorities despise, and we fear for your life if you go back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't even just people with a hunch about that. There were certain people who had the gift of prophecy that said, I have seen this vision. This is not going to go well for you. Do not go back to Jerusalem. And so Paul, uh, being the... Um, very sensitive, very compassionate man of God that he was, was like, uh, whatever, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And so he heads back that way. He gets to Jerusalem. He takes care of a little bit of business, preaches the word, gets arrested, gets beaten up and uh, thrown in uh, jail. They, they take him to the authorities. They want him to be put to death. The authorities are you know, hesitant about this whole thing. And, uh, and then Paul, in this kind of stroke of genius, um, throws a card out there in his defense that they weren't expecting. He throws out his dual citizenship card. And basically, Paul was not only a Jewish citizen, and an Israelite, but he had dual citizenship. He was also a Roman citizen. Now, this whole area of the world was controlled by the Roman Empire. So you would have nations like Israel that had... Um, Sold, you know, they were basically occupied by the Romans. There were soldiers around there and, and leaders. So you had your Jewish leaders and your Roman leaders kind of coexisting together. And, and uh, they felt very kind of oppressed by the, by the Roman Empire. But, but, Paul, but Paul knew something. Paul knew this, that the rules were different for Roman citizens as they were for any, than they were for anybody else in the world. In other words, if you were a Roman soldier and you arrested somebody that was not Roman... Uh, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to. You could beat the mess out of them. You could treat them poorly. You could, you know, keep them locked up uh, for forever. There, there was just no, hardly any rules. But if it was a Roman citizen, it was a whole different set of rules. You could not mistreat them. There was due process that should be had in their, in their trial. They could appeal to the highest authority and all this kind of stuff. So Paul pulls out his, double, his dual citizenship card and says, um, you know, are you sure, basically he says, are you sure that the way you're treating me is the way you should be treating me as I am also a Roman citizen? And, and all the Romans freak out. They're like, oh, no, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because we've been beating the mess out of this guy. And, and so Paul, uh, again, in Stroke of Genius, says, I don't want to be tried here. I, I'd like to talk to Caesar about this. I'd like to talk to Caesar about this. I love Paul, man. He's so smart. So, uh, the, the, basically, they start the process of getting Paul to Caesar. Now, before he leaves Jerusalem, <clears throat> the Jews uh, come up with a plot where they're going to they're gonna try to get Paul out of the, out of the jail and, and make it look like, oh, we just want to talk to him and you know, try to smooth this whole thing out. But what they had was a plot to kill him. And it got back to Paul through Paul's nephew that um, don't go where they're telling you to go. They're going to try to kill you. Paul lets the Roman authorities know, and basically they get him out of the city and start him on his way to, to Rome to see Caesar, okay? Now, um, again, now some stuff happens on the way to Rome that we're going to talk about next week, but we're going to stop right there. What I want to focus on this week is this whole idea that Paul felt called to do God's work in a mighty, like, miraculous way, you know, struck blind on the road to Damascus, called out of the life that he was living. He becomes this incredible 
messenger of the gospel, starting churches, writing scripture, just, just to say, I mean, he is, he is living for God. If anybody has ever lived for God, it was Paul the apostle. I mean, he was all out living for God. And then he gets arrested and beaten and everything else. Now, if, if that kind of um, suffering was to come upon us, um, imagine yourself in, in a position where you are, you are serving God like 110% the, to the best of you. I mean, you're giving him everything, all of yourself, and, and whatever ministry you feel like he's called you into, you are just pouring every bit of yourself into that. And then all of a sudden, all this bad stuff starts happening that, w- that is putting the brakes on your ministry. This thing that you felt God calling you to do, all of a sudden you're getting arrested, you're getting beaten, your life is being threatened. And I think for most of us, our reaction would be like, what in the world, God? I, I thought you called me to this. What, what, what's going on here? Did I get this call wrong? Is, you know, is there, are you trying to tell me something? Because I'm feeling some other messages with every blow. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, what is it that you're trying to tell me? And we might be tempted to go through a situation like that and become very kind of self-absorbed and, and, uh, and just begin to question God. I love Paul's response, though. Chapter 21, start with verse 10. It says this. This is before he got to Jerusalem. It says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, that we, the fact that the writer here says we, we know the writer of Acts is, is uh, Luke, who also wrote the, the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke must have been one of the traveling companions of Paul. He's, I mean, here's another scripture writer who hears this prophecy, and he's like, oh, this, this, is, this can't be right. Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. Even he joins in on it. So they say, um, verse 13, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. I love Paul's response there. What are you doing breaking my heart here? Let me go. I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. Because Paul knew something that is so critical that we have got to get our heads around too when it comes to potentially, you know, what, what the world or most people would look at as suffering or bad things. Paul was not afraid of that. He was not afraid of that. All he knew is he had a very clear sense that God needed him in Jerusalem and whatever happened, happened. He was just going to follow God. Just going to follow God. Now, in our own life, especially, you know, if, you know, all of us kind of living here in America where we have religious freedom. And By the way, I know there's a lot of hype talk about our religious freedoms being threatened and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and maybe to some degree they are. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, we still have it really, really good here. Okay? Like really, really, really good. Okay? The fact that you're sitting here, not worried about anybody knowing about it, all that kind of stuff, we have it really good. All right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Get in there. Come on. So, the, 
the fact that we as Americans live in this kind of culture where we don't experience that level of suffering, for the most part, we don't fear what's going to happen if we share the gospel with someone. You know, it might be an inconvenience. It might, it might cause some people to kind of look down upon us or, or uh, you know, we might fall out of favor with some friends or some family members if we do it or something like that. But we're not going to experience the level of persecution currently in this nation. We're not going to experience that level of persecution that these early Christians were experiencing. We're very fortunate that way. But we do, make no mistake about it, we do experience suffering in our lives. Amen? We do. Absolutely. Maybe it's not the direct result of your work sharing the gospel, but nevertheless, there are definitely things that happen in our life uh, where, where we suffer. There are definitely things that happen in our life when we suffer. It could be suffering through relationship issues, just problems with a friend or a spouse or, or whoever else, just, just relationships getting... T- I mean, there's, if you've got a close friend or, or a spouse or, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whoever, and you start experiencing some serious relationship stress with that person, it, it can cause you just incredible amounts of anxiety. You hate going through those times. It could be that you, you suffer because of illness or death in your life or something like that. And again, extremely anxious, extremely painful to go through those kind of situations. It could be your suffering is, is work-related or finance-related or, or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that suffering comes upon us in our life, all kinds of different. Sometimes, sometimes our suffering is uh, self-induced, Right? Sometimes we suffer because we are, you know, dumb with a capital D, right? And, and, and that happens too. Sometimes it's just simply the enemy trying to get us down. You know, one, one of the uh, great stories about suffering in the Bible is the story of Job. If you've never read the book of Job, do it sometime. You're going to be a little bit depressed, but do it anyway. It's a good book. Uh, but basically, Job was this guy in, in the Old Testament who... Um, I'm going to tell my version of the story because it's so good. And um, so, so basically, the first chapter of Job uh, tells us that uh, God basically had a meeting of all the heavenly hosts and just had you know had everybody up there. They were having some sort of get together, and and then Satan walks in on this meeting and basically uh, busts up their party, right? And, and I, in my head, because I don't know, because I. This way my head works. In my head, that story plays out a little bit like, uh, you know, an old Western with a saloon where the guy in the black hat comes charging through the doors and the whole room goes quiet. You know what I'm talking about? That scene, that's how that whole scene plays out in my head. And and Satan comes in and it goes quiet. (coughs) And God is staring down Satan and Satan is staring down God. And God says, where have you been? Where have you been? And Satan's response basically was, wherever I want to be. I can go wherever I want. I can do anything I want. And what Satan was basically saying is, I am running in and out of the lives of these people whom you love so much and there's nothing you can do about it. And God's response back to Satan is classic. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you tried Job? Because I don't think you can have your way with him. I don't think you can. Now, there's a part of me 
that would love to be Job in that situation where it's like God is like, try Jeff. He's going to make it, you know, right? And then there's the other part of me that's like, no, don't say my name, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you know, that, and that's what happened. Basically, God set up some ground rules and said, yeah, go ahead. See if you can have your way with Job because he's faithful to me and I know he'll stay, but you can't, you can't touch his body. You can't harm him. Do whatever else you will. And this suffering that you can't even imagine falls upon Job. He loses. He was a wealthy man, wealthy, wealthy man with a big family, and he loses everything. He loses his family in a horrible catastrophe, his kids. He loses all of his wealth. He, I mean, he loses everything. And anyway, all this, the story goes on and on about how he stands up through his suffering. And it's basically a whole story of, of you know, do we suffer because of sin or could it be because of other reasons? But that, uh, that idea of suffering, sometimes we're just put to the test. Sometimes we're just put to the test. and it, That's just the way that goes down. Now, the, what happens so often, though, is when we hear something like that, one of our natural responses is to think something along the lines of, how could God be so cruel? How could God be so cruel just to, to test us like that? Or, or maybe it's because of our own sin and he's punishing us, uh, you know, disciplining us in some way. How, again, how could he be so cruel? I thought God was love. If God is love, why is there a hell? If God is love, why are horrible things happening to kids? If God, you know, all, when we start going through all this thing and we start thinking about suffering, why, how could this possibly be? And yet, in the, in the new, all throughout the New Testament, there is this theology of suffering that basically says there's a reason for it. There's a plan behind it. Nothing is random. Nothing is random, and God is still love, and God still sits on his throne, and he is still worthy of all our praise, no matter if you're suffering or not. So I want to look at a couple of verses that also feed into this idea of suffering. And um, the first one is this one. (coughs) Pardon me. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our suffering because we know what that suffering produces in us. And basically, that, again, now, the idea of rejoicing and suffering is something for a lot of us that is very foreign. We don't like suffering. We get really upset about suffering. When we start suffering, we start complaining. We start looking for somebody to blame. We start looking for authorities to go to and change the situation because that's how we think as Americans. We do not like to suffer, to be put out, to do any of that stuff. And Paul says, but when I suffer, I rejoice because I know what the results are. This is the truth that God... While God may not cause all suffering, sometimes he just allows the suffering to take place. What he always do, what he always does in the life of the believer who is faithful, who is faithful, who chooses to glorify God instead of glorify himself or take all the attention off of God or whatever, what God always does is he can use whatever suffering you're going through to shape you and to build you. And you will at one point look back on what you thought was a horrible situation and see that in some way God used it to bring about a victory in your life. 
And that is incredible when God does that. It's incredible how, I, I, I don't even understand it. Again, I, you've heard me say this stuff before, but <clears throat> I, I, that's not the kind of God I would be. Right? If I'm God, that's not how I'm being God. But God looks at our worst situations, and the Bible says he will work them all to our good. That he can take the crud of your life and somehow work it into a situation where you look at it and realize how good it was for you to go through that. That we need suffering in our life. It's the suffering that actually shapes us and makes us more like Christ. What's it take for us to get to that point, though, where we, when we start going through a hard time, a situation, whether it's self-induced or, or a test or, or a discipline or whatever, what, what's it take for us to get to a point when we start going through that tough time to where instead of immediately getting down, we immediately start glorifying God? Say, God, I don't, I don't understand how this could be a part of your plan. It doesn't seem like a very good idea to me, but I know you're in control. And I know you'll take every situation I go through and work it together for my good, so I'm just going to praise you and trust you right now. I'm going to tell you, if you get to that point in your life to where you have that kind of faith, that's a place to be. That's that's something worth shooting for. That's a place to be. Rejoicing in suffering. Rejoice in it. The next verse, look at this next verse. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I love Peter's words here. Don't be surprised. Like, some of you act so shocked that you, and basically this is what Peter's saying. Um, again, my, my kind of version of it. it but what Peter's basically saying here is, is I don't understand why you are so surprised that you're going through hard times and suffering. You do realize who you're following, right? You do realize you're following a God that they murdered. You do realize you decided to place your hope and faith in a God that was arrested and beaten and murdered. Why did you think it was going to go any different for you? That's the guy you chose to follow. Why did you think it was going to go any different for you? And the thing is, is that when we place our faith in Christ, yes, there is victory, and yes, there is uh, peace, and there is all the stuff that is promised to us, and it is good, and it is worth anything that we might go through. But you got to know this too. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not every day is going to be rosy. There are going to be things that happen in your life that you wish would not happen. You're going to be tested. You're going to have your faith attacked. You're going to feel personally attacked. You're going to make a decision in being faithful to God that some friend or some family member somewhere down the line is going to hate that decision and they'll look down on you for it. They may even break off a relationship for it. It's hard to go through those things. The other thing about about being a child of God is God disciplines his children. So when we are dumb with a capital D and we do things that bring about suffering in our own lives because of horrible choices that we have made and God initiates discipline in our life, basically God is really good at allowing us, basically God's approach to us is not one of control. His approach is, you want to you wander away from me? Okay, let's see how that goes. Let's see how that goes. And we wander 
and then we start, start experiencing the natural results of our wandering away from God, and God allows those natural results, results to happen. Not because he hates us, the exact opposite, because he loves us. Because he, want, he, you can, he needs to discipline us, he needs to, for us to know what happens when we wander away from him. But this is what's beautiful about God, and it's the same thing as what's beautiful about most of you as parents, is that when we discipline our children, like I'm not, if my, one of my kids, you know, does something, disobeys me, whatever, I'm not just like getting vindictive and nasty with them, and I'm just going to bring down the hammer on them and, and hurt them as bad as I can just for the sake of hurting them because they offended me. That's not the way I think. What Jamie and I have learned over the years of being parents is when we affect discipline on our kids, we want to make sure it's the kind of discipline that will shape them and help them grow. Why? Because we love them. We don't hate them. We, we, we want the best for them, not the worst. We're not trying to inflict pain upon them. We want them to grow. So sometimes we cause natural disciplinary results to happen in their life and, and twist them in a certain way, shape them in a certain way, just so that they will grow into the people that we want them to grow into. And God, being a loving father, does the exact same thing to us. He doesn't just let us slide. I've always said this. I, I've, not, I've never been the guy that can wander too far away from God. God is on my back. He, is, he keeps a short rope on me at times, it feels like. He, he, he just eats me up with, with conviction and guilt and, 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 and consequences and everything else, and, and he keeps me close to him. I don't hate him for that, though. I, just the opposite. I love him. I'm so thankful that he doesn't let me wander off too far. I'm so thankful that he, he allows things to happen in my life that send me running back to him, running back to him. That's the thing. Has anybody ever, if, you, if you've got toddlers, you know what I'm talking about. Toddlers are great because they're so easy to discipline. <clears throat> Most of them, unless you've got a boy, and, and then that's a whole different matter. Um, but it, one of the great things about toddlers is if, if they uh, are in a situation where they need a little discipline and you affect that discipline, um, you know, it hurts them, it breaks their heart, and they feel, you know, they feel, toddlers hate the, the feeling of their parents being upset with them. They hate that feeling. You're their security. The last thing they want to, know, want to feel like is if you somehow uh, are, are abandoning them or leaving them or something. They hate that feeling. And so what I love, especially now, we've got Meadow. She's two years old. When, when we put Meadow in timeout and, and we see, you know, she does something, she's, she's, she's a hitter. She's constantly slapping one of us. And, and so if she hauls off and slaps me or Jamie and, and uh, we'll, we'll say, you need to go sit on timeout steps. And so she goes and sits in timeout and she's just wailing and crying and punching the wall and just slapping things and, you know, thrashing back and forth. This is horrible. It's horrible. But we, after her timeout is up and we say, okay, Meadow, come here. Meadow, uh, Meadow's anger pretty much immediately ceases and she runs to us, and the first thing she wants is a hug. Even though she hated that timeout, even though she hated having to go through that, the first thing she wants to know is, you still love me, right? And she needs that hug. That's how I feel about God. Whenever, whenever I make bad choices, and I have to experience the natural results of those bad choices, it doesn't make me hate God. It makes me run to him even more. I need him in my life, and I'm thankful for him shaping me the way he's shaping me. 
Suffering happens for all kinds of different reasons. We need to be the kind of people who can get to a point to where we embrace it. Not that we crave it, not that we want it, but when it happens, we just embrace it. Whether it's self-induced or a test or whatever. Embrace it because we know this is God taking interest in us and being willing to shape us. And even if it's not something that God caused, I'm not saying that every bit of suffering is caused by God, but even if it's a suffering that God will take and redeem, right? Like there are sometimes horrible things that happen to us that are not caused by God, but God can take those things and redeem them for his own will, for his own good pleasure. He can take them and redeem them by shaping us and and using them to make us into the people that are more like him. And, 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 and that is beautiful when that happens. And so when we get to that point where that suffering hits, if we can then look to God and say, God, I can't wait to see what you do with this. I hate that I'm going through this. I hate it. I wouldn't choose it for anybody. But I know you've got a plan. I know you do because you love me. I know you do because you love me. Look at this point. I want you to remember this today. Put that next slide up there. The enemy uses suffering to weaken us. God uses suffering to strengthen us. Don't forget that. It's huge. The enemy uses suffering to weaken us. God uses suffering to strengthen us. This is the beautiful thing. This is one of the things where, where, uh, like, Satan, um, you know, our our enemy, Satan, he is, um, you know, I know a lot of people just live in fear of Satan and his attacks and demonic influence and things like that. One of the things that lessens that fear for me is how stupid Satan is. and, And it's this, because he has been living the opposite of this statement for forever and still does not get it. This is the tactic he used with Jesus. I'm gonna bring Jesus himself down because I wanna weaken this situation. I wanna weaken God. I wanna weaken all his followers. I wanna, I wanna crush this thing. And God says, all right, bring on the suffering because it's just gonna make us stronger. And what happens? Jesus suffers and we have eternal life. Jesus suffers and grace is afforded to us and we get stronger and we get closer. And all across the world, you've heard me talk about this recently, all across the world, wherever the gospel is being persecuted, the church grows like a wildfire. Wherever things are hard uh, for a church by the government or authorities or whoever, the church grows and the church thrives in that environment. And so when Satan attacks us and tries to weaken us through suffering that he brings about in our life, God takes that same attack, that same suffering, and and just to rub it in Satan's face is like, I'm not going to let you win. I'm not going to let you win. I'm going to make them stronger through this. Now, there's a choice that we have to make in all of this right there. And I I want you to catch it. Go back to that slide. That if we are going to, we have a choice. You can choose to fall into Satan's plan and be weakened, or you can choose to glorify God and be strengthened. It's your choice. It's your every single time we go through suffering, every time we go through a hard time, we have a choice to make. Am I going to allow myself to be weakened through this and fall into the plan that Satan had all along? Or am I going to stick with God and be faithful and allow myself to grow stronger? It is a critical, critical choice that we all have to make. Now, 
For some of you in the room right now, you've been going through some things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. There are some of you who have been going through some sickness, some death, some relationships breaking apart, some, some whatever it is you're going through, financial struggles, any number of temptation, temptation that you just can't kick and you feel like it's just whipping your butt. Here's the thing. You have a choice to make. You can allow this suffering, this thing, to weaken you, or you can be faithful and allow God to make you stronger. I want you to make that choice today. I do. I want you to make the choice to stop being the complainer, to stop being the victim, to stop being the person who is, who is, is just, just lashing out and angry because of the circumstances of your life, and instead make the choice to bring glory to God and just be faithful to him and trust in him and, and just believe he's going to work it all for your good. He's going to make you stronger. Make the choice right now. I'm going to stop complaining about this thing and whining about this thing and woe is me about whatever it is that's going on in your life. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to believe that he's going to make me stronger on the other side of this thing that I'm going through. Guys, if you can do that, that's such a tremendous, huge step of faith on your part. It is it is life-altering decision for you to make. It is a life-altering decision. And I want to challenge you to be the kind of people who will do that. Who, No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how hard the situation is for you right now, you're going to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be weakened by this. I'm not going to fall into Satan's trap for me in this thing. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to trust him for the strength that I know is coming. I'm going to trust him. Let's do that. Let's make that choice today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. <clears throat> I thank you for your word. I thank you. Um, and even as, as Paul said, rejoice in the suffering that uh, <clears throat> comes our way. God, it's not that we, again, it's not that we crave it or, or desire suffering. But God, when it happens, as it always does, it always comes our way at some point or another. God, help us to be living so close to you, so in touch with you and your Holy Spirit's movement in our life that when it happens, we can rejoice and we can trust you. We can bring you glory instead of complaining and whining and getting all the attention and glory ourselves. God, help us to glorify you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a God that you do not abandon us. You do not hate us or despise us, but instead, God, you love us so much that you take even the worst situations of our life and you use them to bring yourself glory and you use them to bring us strength. Scott, right now, just across this room, would you just send your Holy Spirit right now into everybody's lives, into their thoughts right now and just point out a situation, an issue of suffering, big or small, that they're going through, that they have been down about, complaining about, angry about. God, would you help them to give that situation to you right now? Would you help them to make the choice that right now I'm not going to be victimized by this, I'm not going to complain about it anymore, I'm going to glorify you in this. 
I'm going to trust you for the strength that I know is coming on the other side of this. I'm going to trust you. God, you're so good. You're so good. And we love you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.